0: Welcome to the Executive Brain, focused on the self-actualization of today's executive leaders through science and stories. I'm your host, Grinnell Connor. Bruce is a West Point graduate with airborne and ranger training who served in the infantry in West Berlin when the wall was still up in the 1970s. He is a licensed psychologist, as well as an executive coach. He is the author of The Psychology of Executive Coaching, a now classic text on the fundamentals of coaching with executives and business leaders. He teaches psychology and ethics at the Dugoni Dental School and the University of San Francisco, and is the author of more than 100 articles in the professional literature. I cannot express more how excited I am to address Bruce to Executive Brain, though my professor at USF, during my master's in counseling psychology, he was, and still is, someone I look up to since he walked into the classroom. It has taken ages to find a role model who I am truly inspired by, but more than that, Bruce has been a very dear mentor of mine. It is my deep and wholehearted gratitude to introduce to Executive Brain, Dr. Bruce Peltier. Bruce, thank you for being on Executive Brain. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's it's
1: a a bit of an honor.
0: Excellent. I'm honored that it's an honor for you. So let's start off (laughs) with a book, The Psychology of Executive Coaching. Full disclosure, it is my Bible when referencing techniques on coaching my clients. Give me your perspective on this book. Well, I, I wrote the original, the first edition in 2001
1: at a time when the Silicon Valley, I live in San Francisco. And the Silicon Valley was uh, on fire the first time, and it was on fire because so many large corporations had to go from paper to digital, and specifically companies like Wells Fargo or Safeway, uh, who are local, uh, had to had were facing the task of connecting all of their branches and all of their divisions, and Safeway and other large grocery stores were um, uh, c- connecting everything digitally, and there was enormous amount of work for uh people who could code and could write software and so forth and well, what would happen was small teams would work in remote locations and work really hard to get this all done and there was more and more work coming online and so what happened was these um these consulting firms who were doing this uh, software work would take the best coders the best the best IT people and assign them into leadership jobs. And they had z- zero leadership skills. They were they were IT people. And they were then suddenly put in charge of a team and they had no uh, skills in that area, had no idea what to do. Some of them did well, a few of them, most of them not so well. And so it was a, uh, some smart people got together and decided maybe we, could, we should help them with their uh, leadership skills and so I was brought uh, into one of those companies to help with that and there was a ton of business and I realized not only did these leaders not have any skills but I didn't have any skills that I knew of with regard to coaching these these young uh, nascent leaders it, it turns out I did have skills and I, but I had to translate them from my work as a psychologist and as a, a professor of psychology into coaching skills and that was what originally stimulated the book uh, the first edition was in 2001 and then in two- 2010, I wrote a second edition and expanded on that uh, significantly. But I have to tell you, Grinnell, you use the word techniques. It's not a techniques book, as you probably noticed. It's really a fundamental theories book about mm. the underlying principles behind the techniques that are
0: available to coaches that come from psychology. That's beautiful. I love that you rephrase that. And two is I want to paint a chronology timeline here. So the internet kind of went out there in the mid to late 90s. And in the mid to late 90s, companies were adopting engineers that can code in software to kind of expand their business presence. And while that happened, these leaders, these executives, these managers were born. And around the time they started being born at the 2000s, early 2000s, you, your book is already out there. So you're kind of a pioneer in this in this whole era.
1: Well, that's flattering. Thanks. I just stumbled on, on the whole thing. It was very lucky. Uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, I guess. The book is aimed at, at two audiences, just so you know. One audience is consists of therapy types like yourself, who's, who have training, uh, formal training in psychotherapy, psychologists, marriage family therapists, master's level psychotherapists of various kinds. And and the second audience are business people who have no psychotherapy training, but are already involved in business and are doing coaching in their current jobs or are looking forward to doing more coaching. So this is a the two audiences. In, in the first case, I provide some business insights for psychotherapy types because I have an MBA and I have experience in business and I provide psychotherapy or psychology insights for the
0: business people who like that. Hmm. I think that's a wonderful two type of audience to target. So give me some understanding of um, how you work with clients and what are the trends you're seeing? I mean, you've seen the evolution from 2001 to how things are now. What do you see? Well,
1: in my opinion, there's even more uh, need and demand for coaching skills than ever, and and uh, it's clear that business coaching and executive coaching are here to stay. Uh, the market they're well accepted in the business marketplace. In fact, there's there's um, the old stigma about mental health still exists, believe it or not. But there's not much stigma about um, about coaching. For you example, about
0: coaching, yeah
1: fairly recently i had uh, and this is you know we're talking about 2018 a situation where a person who's actually a doctor reject the idea of getting counseling because they did not want this to to the stigma associated with feeling like they had a mental illness i mean i mean that just seems strange to me in 2018 but that that idea is per- still pervasive in american culture and it's even more pervasive in cultures outside of the united states although they're those countries are they're um, adopting.
0: They're adapting. Accepting. They're adapting accepting
1: more. Yeah. Right. And then uh, so that so that's one thing. The stigma associated with with getting mental health counseling. This the second one is that I th- is the is the phenomenon of life coaching, mm-hmm. which in my view is really just sort of the repackaging of psychotherapy, uh, in a way that's more acceptable to people who don't um, don't want to associate mental mental illness with getting help. And, you know, with uh, paying $450 for for a psychiatrist's help as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, while I'm not such a big fan of life coaching, mostly because some of the life coaches, although they may be wonderful and very insightful, don't have formal ethics training and legal training that you have as a marriage family therapist and a a master's level psychotherapist. You got a lot of training in law and ethics and and things like... uh, And diagnosis diagnose effective diagnosis and, and knowing what you're looking at that's one secondly knowing what to do when you have uh, dangerous situations like suicide or child abuse or elder abuse and those kinds of things i think most life coaches don't have any training in that and so they're sort of going by the seat of their pants and some of them are very good i'm sure and some of them uh, are well well intentioned but don't have adequate training now that ex- in the executive coach arena it 's interesting because an executive coach is not explicitly doing psychotherapy and shouldn't be doing psychotherapy and doesn't, doesn't uh, pretend to be doing psychotherapy. One of the interesting legal challenges in executive coaching that i that i 've sort of run into as a psychologist is the legal problem of, of doing uh, for example in california it 's illegal to provide uh, psychotherapy services across state lines unless your client Or patient is in a state where you hold a license so for example if I'm if I'm in California and I have a and I'm doing some telephone coaching with someone in Texas it's fine to do executive coaching but I can't do psychotherapy for hmm. someone who is is living in Texas unless I have a a texas psychology license that's what that's what california law says and so you know we have to be careful as executive coaches not to slide over and and start doing psychotherapy which is which is uh, you know often an issue because
0: Mm, i see what you're saying so
1: so let me let me say a little bit more about that in my book i i um, carve out two different kinds of coaching one is what, what you might call remedial coaching and that's coaching when something's wrong when a when a client is having a tough time or having trouble, has run into trouble, has run into barriers, developmental barriers, environmental barriers, business barriers, and they, they've fallen behind, they've gotten bad evaluations or they're stuck in some way. So that kind of coaching is what I call remedial, fixing something that's inadequate or broken or on, on the wrong, derailed, you know, career derailment, for example. The second general kind of coaching is developmental, meaning you've got someone who's got star potential or is already a star, shows enormous promise and and wants to grow their their skills so they can become even better. Mm-hmm. And those, those are two kind of different types of coaching. Now, in the first, the remedial one, a lot of times when people have a career that's been derailed and knocked off the rails or they're struggling or they're stuck – Often that's accompanied by anxiety and or depression. So then, if you're going to work with that person, you got to you got to do something about the anxiety and the depression. Right. And if you're doing that, you know, who, who knows if you now now <laughs> have you now are you are you in psychotherapy? You know, right, it's really right, exactly. it's really open, kind of an open, interesting question.
0: Mm-hmm, mm. And in the second one,
1: in the second one, I don't see those same those same challenges they don't exist in the second one as far as i can tell with the developmental one i mean i mean okay so if you're helping a person develop their social skills or their leadership skills or their or their executive presence i, I don't
0: see that as being like psych- i don't think anyone would make the case that that's psychotherapy and you shouldn't be doing it across state lines yeah so i see what you're saying because the first one is definitely is a, a context of safety it's the context of health the true health, and that's the first one. And the second one is something about building strength, growth. You know, that's when you already have a healthy fundamental. So Yeah, and,
1: uh, you're, yeah. and you're coaching
0: more on, on things that are directly related to business and not to a psychopathology. Yeah, I see, I see. And then I think what you're saying also is that if you're a life coach or a coach and you have a certification in coaching, you can do great in the in the second one, but when it comes to the natural instances when the first one will happen, when someone is really struggling with anxiety, depression and and it's really coming to become pathological, um, then that's when they need another type of help and which is not what everybody can provide.:
1: Well, that's right. And you know, I have to tell you, recently, a fair number of my executive clients also have told me, uh, when I met them, they also that have a psychologist that they see.
0: Mm, okay. So That's that take,
1: I, in a way, that sort of solves that problem because you can then the executive coach can refer all those psychological psychopathology problems to the psychologist.
0: I see. So executive coaching, in a sense, is not a one-stop shop all the time. I'm afraid it
1: can't be. Mm, mm,
0: okay, this is interesting. It's something that I struggled with when I was going through my master's in counseling psychology and working alongside other other therapists something that i struggled with is the amount of biology and neuroscience that was lacking in that community so it it mm-hmm. for me it went even deeper than that uh i remember when my master's i was the only person that that picked up the book of the neuroscience of psychotherapy i was like why didn't anybody else pick up this book <laughs> you know yeah. and and uh, and i enjoyed it because i you know, I, I just love neuroscience, and I'm thinking this is so important to us. Uh, you know, this is the study of literally the actual movement of the brain, the actual oxygen in the brain, the actual firing of the brain. I mean, this is pretty important, right? Yeah, absolutely, and it's becoming more
1: and more important every day. And I think in your career as a young practitioner, you're going to see how important that is and how much we, we recognize that. Um, Over the past 10 years, I've taught psychopharmacology at University of San Francisco, and that's helped me a lot when my coaching clients should be considering a visit to a psychiatrist for an evaluation for medication, which, you know, it's a tough topic to bring up. But uh, if you've got a client who's who's stuck an executive who's stuck and part of the reason they're stuck is that they've got depression, a formal, you know, they formally got a brain di- a disorder, a brain a disease, even some people call it depression. It can be uh, you know, problem with lack of serotonin act action in the brain. I mean, it seems like it'd be malpractice if, if, uh, if you didn't urge them to, to get a, an evaluation and to consider antidepressant medication yeah secondly i mean there are other medications beta blockers for anxiety performance anxiety that really uh, ought to be considered in, in in the big picture but obviously executive coaches aren't in a position to do that kind of uh, prescribing obviously and even a even a detailed, yeah the recommendation needs to be for a referral rather than for a medication
0: yeah this brings up to the next point where I know your position is on the thought that executive coaches are going to become more in demand with the way things are moving. We have more people in leadership and more people in leadership means more performance that is demanded. And with more performance, more people in leadership, more people who have lives, more humans in these positions, we're going to need somebody to kind of be there. And that somebody who will be there is a coach, is a therapist, is a psychologist, is, is somebody that is to be there, which is their role. And so this is continuously expanding. But at the same time, you're saying that, that the practice, the practice of coaching is probably not enough. The way that it stands now is probably not enough with the multitude of what may come. I do think the future is bright for coaching of
1: all kinds. I, uh, last night I watched a, a documentary Better on Usain Bolt, the sprinter, and yes. uh, he he talked a lot about uh, his his coach, and, and they showed some, some spots. A lot of a lot of the movie was about his coach, and his coach was doing the same things that we do as executive coaches, very same thing, saying the same things. But Bolt was very appreciative, credited his coach with a lot of his success. So that's just one example of how coaching in lots of arenas is going to be more and more important. There's an article in the New Yorker or in the in Time Magazine I think about Serena Williams, Williams and uh, how much she values her coach. And so, you know, yeah, I think I think the the, the, door, the door's wide open. Now, we're in an interesting time in the American economy. I mean, it's still in the tech sector, of course, things are still flying. And this concept that I see coming online of disruption is sort of the, you know, a trendy kind of theme these days. Everybody wants to be a disruptor. Well, of course, that doesn't make any sense because you can't just disrupt. You've got to, <laughs> disruption's is the first step and it causes a lot of chaos and a lot of mess. You know. it's, it's, it's essential and it's really hard to do. Um, but it, it's 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 uh, it. coaching plays can play a big role in that whole disruption process. But this is you know, this is a capitalist market economy, and that means competition and the competition is fierce. Mm-hmm. And if you can't compete these days, and it's probably always been true in every economy, but the American economy, especially because of the kind of raw capitalist structure that we uh, seem to cherish and value, you know, you got to compete. And competition's hard, and there it has—it's a double-edged sword, right? Cuts both ways. Competition—you you get a lot. You, you know, of course, it's—it's—it uh, creates innovation because everybody's trying to create a new idea that's going to work better than the old ones, so you can make it. And it also creates a situation where people work really, really hard and really, really long to to beat competition. And uh, you know the re the working really, really hard and really, really long, the side effects are can be devastating uh, with regard to people's physical health, their emotional health, their family health, and the health of the community and I think coaches can play a huge role in
0: that yeah, you've spoken about this before when we've had previous discussions, and you're saying the the economy, the philosophy that our country runs on i can I think I can safely say capitalism. Capitalism is trying to expunge the most from the human, trying to expunge the most. We're one of the top societies and we have uh, 340 million people when other societies are in, in literally the billion of numbers. And, yeah. and, and we are also such large in size, which means there's a lot of space between us. So we mm. do a lot with this space and we do a lot with this limited number. Probably because of a philosophy that we're running off of, but economically it may look good and things look good, but there's something underneath that's that's reverberating, and I think that's what you're saying.
1: Oh, you know, I keep hearing it when I do executive coaching, This I also do a fair amount of assessment of executives, usually executives who show, who show early career promise and i keep hearing about work life balance and how important that is and yet it's hard to do in a in a capitalist marketplace work life yeah. balance because if you're right you know competition sucks all the balance out of the, <laughs> the equation
0: yeah. you better work yeah. another hour yeah. to it. You know? Yeah, I know. I I mean, I remember I've I've lived in other countries. I've lived in Taiwan. I lived in in Vietnam. I've lived in Peru, and then I work a lot with India. So in these other countries, I noticed that in Taiwan, they kind of just work and then go home, and they're with friends. <laughs> you know, it's like it's kind of like simple. You work, you go home, then you're with friends. It's like that. In in Vietnam. People are kind of with friends a lot. Even at work, They it's like very... They're with friends even they're at work. And I find myself in... Not in Taiwan because I was out in the working world as much there. But in Vietnam, I find myself like... Hey, everybody, just start work. Just work. <laughs> you know? oh, I was like, goodness. guys, start working. You know, even though we're at work, it, it, it was and that's me. That That's that's where I was raised. I'm I'm here and, you know, I'm in the United States. I'm thinking, guys, you're at work. So I just start like pumping stuff out. And they're not thinking that. Well, you know, the, I think the Ameri- My impression of the American workplace is we're squeezing all the friendship out of it. We're not careful. <laughs> we're squeezing all the friendship. Yeah, this is amazing. It, it's amazing. I mean, our numbers are amazing. We pump up so much, but the, yeah, like you said, there needs to be a balance. Not in the individual, the sole individual, him herself. It's also us as a uh, as a collective set of people. So what do you see that you're working with people in, in these positions? When you're saying this, how do they take it? How? What's their response? What are you finding is a response? And then I know you have something to say about millennials as well. Well,
1: so the, the issue of work-life balance is funny because I think there's so much magical thinking around it. And by that I mean... People talk about how they talk about work-life balance, in my experience, as if it's another thing they have to get done and check off on their list. So they just add wow. that to a long list of to, a long to do list. And they wow. say, OK, I have to do work-life balance. <laughs> right. It's like a thing they're adding to the whole yes. long list that's stressing them out. And uh, and the magical thinking part is that um, you can do work-life balance without taking time off from work. You know, I mean, you can work even harder and and still do work life balance and make you know, you can make your numbers, you can make bigger numbers next quarter and still do work life balance. And come on, at some point, uh, you know, (laughs) you run up against reality where and um, I actually have a couple of executive clients who go to the gym at four thirty in the morning every day. You know, and I don't know. I think it works for them, but it seems it's somehow that seems strange.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. I love to dance. I love to dance. And then this is the funny thing is sometimes when I'm dancing or like when people notice that I like to dance and it's that kind of teaching opportunity. People say, hey, can you teach me something? OK, I'll I'll teach you something. Sure. And they say, do you move your arm like this, and do you move your hand like that, and you move your foot like that? And I'm saying, yeah, yeah." you know, you move your foot and you move your arm, but the dancing, the main part of it, is the feeling, is is the is the understanding. And people are doing work-life balance, mindfulness, yoga, exercise, hanging out with their kids, like dance in the sense of do you move your arm like this and do you move your foot like this like yeah you're checking the boxes like yes in dancing you move your arm like that and you check the box of yeah you move your foot like that but that's not dancing still you have to have the soul you have to have the understanding if you don't have the understanding then you can't do it even if you check the boxes you're still not doing it right yeah, and well, and the, go ahead the integrate the integration of it all the integration of it all together where it all comes together right it's all fluid form right so it's it's at the end of the day an understanding and that's not something you can just simply adopt that's not something you can check the box off okay yes i understand this it's something that you have to really live with and understand and take the time and i just have that thought there right
1: and work-life balance requires a commitment and an attitude and I don't think we have a culture that supports that very well, right? You know, if you commit to leaving at pick a time, six o'clock at night, you know, and I have, I have clients who sneak out the side door of of their building because they're nervous that someone's going to see them leaving at six o'clock because
0: that's too early to leave at night. <laughs> well, that's I, I I don't want to laugh at this, but I am laughing because I agree, I see that, I I understand that, but it's it's kind of Well, the fact that you're the
1: fact that you're unwilling to, you know, you're uncomfortable laughing about it, it points out exactly what I'm talking about with this conflict uh, that uh, that lurks below the surface and results in the magical thinking. You know, that's what that's all about. You know, I know it's funny and I should laugh about it, but I shouldn't. I can't laugh about it
0: because (laughs) because culturally it's wrong. (laughs) Oh Man, that's amazing. That's just amazing. So even our laughter is that's amazing. It's your reaction. It's the same as
1: all of ours. You know, I'm the same way. I'm no. I'm no. I'm, no, I'm not exempt from this at all.
0: <laughs> well, Bruce. Honestly, I've been loving this conversation. I I greatly appreciate it. It's amazing perspective with the theory that you have, the ethics that you continue to portray, and which is extremely important and needs to be said, needs to be heard. And then with the understanding of how just. Just our society in the where we live is, is kind of just expunging the most out of us. So, so here's here's
1: when you mention ethics, we have time for one
0: more thing. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. So that I wrote about this
1: in 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 uh, the second edition of my book, the issue of the, the I think the fundamental big ethical question for facing coaches is the question of who's the client. And by that, I, and I keep running into this over and over again. It does not go away, and it's uh, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's uh, obvious, and right on the. Uh, sometimes it's uh, you know the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. But when 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 I get hired by a co- a company to coach someone who works in that co- company, the the company is paying me, and the company is paying me for for results. Oh, they expect results. I see. I see And then I work with the client, and the client tells me things that, um, you know, that are unflattering about the company, or that are in co- that you know that put the client in conflict with the company in some way. For example, if the client says, "Well, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm looking at, uh, uh, I'm being recruited by outside firms," which I don't know quite how to handle that. My you know, as a coach, that puts me in a conflicted position because if I'm going to whose interests am I going to then look after when I do the coaching? Right. The individual person client that I'm facing, sitting there facing and feeling compassion and empathy for, or do I do I have an obligation to keep the company who's paying me's interests in mind? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes sometimes perfect those sense. Are, those are in perfect. conflict. This is yeah. It makes perfect sense. It's it's a classic story. It's the classic story with even therapy where where you're being paid by the family or the the parent and they want their child to be fixed yeah. that's, and a great, it's like, that's exactly that yeah and then it's like you know that you speak to the child the child's like how can i be fixed when this whole thing bugs me you know i'm bugged by this whole thing it's that classic story
1: if a if a client approaches me and says I'd like to pay cash or I'd like to write you a check and pay for my own coaching, that that problem goes away.
0: Right, exactly.
1: But that's yeah. not that's not typical. Yeah.
0: So how do you approach that? Do you tell the, the executive that, hey, look, you know, I'm on your company's paycheck and they want this, so I have to coach you on this.
1: Well, there are two ways. One way is open communication, clear communication. Like, here are what the rules are, and 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 here's what here's what I'm going to do, and here's why. And here's who I represent, under what circumstances how that you do that as as best you can, but inevitably you run into situation, not inevitably, but often you I run into situations where ooh, we didn't discuss that ahead of time um, and so you have an op- as open a discussion and an honest a discussion as you can right that's the one way clear, clear, clear rules and clear. <laughs> Clear boundaries, and the second way is to you know is to have a personal set of a code of ethics that you follow for yourself, and you and you use those to guide you, where you don't take you don't take anybody, you don't take advantage of anybody, and you know and you're not manipulative of, of people, which then requires, of course, another discussion with your client or with the with the, uh, the the company that's paying you. And my my experience with the company is that people who've hired me have been very nice about this. They say no no no, go ahead and take care of this person if they. Obviously, they don't they don't want any trade secrets being sold or, or insider, you know, advantages, uh, that sort of thing, of course. But but if 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 an executive client, the individual has individual needs, in my experience, when I take those to the corporation, they're fine with uh, taking care of, you know, putting the, the client's needs first individually. Yeah. Well, Bruce, I just
0: want to say thank you so much for being on Executive Brain.
1: Oh, thank you. Grinnell. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. It's been interesting. <laughs> good luck with this process
0: and of course we spoke a little more to get caught up if you are a coach the founder of a company or just want to know more about the theory behind executive coaching from a proven expert please check out the psychology of executive coaching by bruce peltier the title is also in the description of the podcast you can reach bruce by going to Brucepeltier.com. he is an amazing practitioner and coach Executive Brain also provides coaching services, so if you want to know more about that, you can contact me through executivebrain.com, executive-brain.com. If you have any ideas of what you want to hear from the Executive Brain podcast, please feel free to comment. We have several segments coming up, one on millennials, another on bodily movement, and I'm working on getting a special segment on executive women. I would love to have more of their voices be heard. So any executive woman who want to be on Executive Brain, this shout out is for you. Thank you so much for visiting us here this week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Executive Brain. And I will see you next week for the next one. Peace and be good.